Today's passage comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 through 15. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying carrying in the body of the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have this, the same spe- <clears throat> spirit of faith, According to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. This is the word of God. If you are new to our church, if you're just joining us today, we've been in a really important series. It's called Union with Christ. And we're actually pretty deep into this series. We're in part 15. And uh, I know this is a Palm Sunday. And normally on Palm Sunday, we're talking about Jesus entering the city um, on, you know, on a donkey to come die, to come die for us. But um, I decided, you know, we're talking so much about the deepest things of the gospel. I'm not going to focus on that event. I'm going to focus on what it means that Jesus has come to enter into you. And I entitled this message, I've entitled this message, Treasure in Clay. Now, we just had this incredible Sunday uh, where we installed our elders, and um, you know we became a particular church, and uh, it's a great Sunday. And I didn't—I'm not smart enough to do this. All right, I—I I think this is a special sermon. Um, they should all be good sermons, shouldn't they? Um, but um, this is one of the deepest things, and we've been—I've been in some ways. It's taking 14 sermons to get. To this place. And I, I know I said that two weeks ago, but that sermon is essentially kind of a piece of multiple weeks. And this message, it's, it's really one of the deepest, dearest things in my heart that I have learned about Jesus and know of the gospel. And I hope it will bless you, okay? Now, let me just do a very brief review, all right? Three messages ago, I gave you a title called Truly Human in God's Image. And there we talked out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that that 
that we are in Adam. We are in the image of the man of dust, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's incredibly difficult to be dust because dust is nothing, right? And what God offers us in the gospel is to be, have a chance of humanity made in the image of God, not out of dust, but to be made in the humanity of the new Adam of Christ. And you know how that happens? Union with Christ. What is the core action that is happening as you are united to Jesus Christ? It is his humanity. It's his heavenly, eternal humanity where he is in the image of God. That is what's happening. Inside of you and me is more than just whatever it is that you're trying to prop up to make yourselves feel like you're worth something. We all can feel this thing. We're made of dust. But what you have been offered is Christ in you, okay? That's three weeks, three Sundays, well, three messages ago. Two messages ago on part 13, I said seeking boasts and seeking power and boasts. So if you are made of dust, like the Adam, you know how we do? We operate like Adam. And I taught you out of Genesis chapter 3, Adam had a choice of how to be a human being. You can learn and follow how to be a human being from God in his image. Or you can learn how to be a human being from the devil. And the devil said, grasp after power. Grasp after power and then, and then have pride. And what that looks like is a boast. That's what I talked about. All of human life in many ways, in the grossness of the atom, of the dying, dusty atom, is that we would wrap ourselves into a boast because deep down we feel that we are dust. And how do we do that? We seek after some kind of power. And from that basis of power in life, we can say, see, I'm worth something. This is my boast. It's the human way in Adam. And it's all death, okay? And two Sundays ago, which was part 14, I said, boasting in weakness and in Christ alone. Boasting in weakness and in Christ alone. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which I preached out of two, two weeks in a row. And Paul says this completely outlandish thing. If I'm going to boast, I will boast in my weakness. And what I taught you is that boasting in your weakness, because in your weakness is the place you will find there's where you need Jesus Christ alone. Some of you are at a place in your life, you're still like, you're, you're still playing the playbook of Adam. Except you don't call it the playbook of Adam, you call it your playbook, okay? You've, if you've been pastored by me for a while, you sometimes hear me say things like this. You don't want to be Susang in Susang. You want to be Susang in Christ. See, there's who you are, and you think your wisdom, your power, your power, your plans, the ways that you're going to show people that you have worth and tell yourself that you have worth. See, this is Adam's way. Except just put your name in there, <laughs> okay? Just put your name in there. 
Who you are in you is death. It's filled with the seeking of power and pride and boasts. But if you will go into Christ, you won't be afraid to say, you see who I am? It's filled with weakness. It's got a lot of weakness. That's who I am. But you know, in the middle of the weakness, there's something very weird, very strange. There's a treasure. That treasure is Jesus. That's what we're talking about today. Today's message is called Treasure in Clay. And this 2 Corinthians chapter 4 passage is absolutely extraordinary. It's the kind of thing you will not read anywhere else in the whole Bible. I know I said that about 2 Corinthians 12, which is true of that passage too. You will not read this in any other literature, no other religious book, no philosophical treatise, no anywhere. It's only in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 This passage, when I read this, it can only come from God. And so, I'll just say this, and then let's get into it, okay? It's like, here you go. He's going long just to introduce. It's got union with Christ right in the middle of it. It's so much about union with Christ. So just, just, just hit it. Verse 11. For we who live are always being over to given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also, also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. You know what this he's talking about? It's really weird. It's really mysterious. He's saying it's normal for a Christian to walk into life and like being given over into death. And to be giving over into weakness, affliction, pain, rejection. It's okay. It's normal. Because then something else might be manifested while we are in this. That is the life of Jesus. You know what we're talking about here? We're talking about union with Christ. Okay, let's get into it. Part one. Jars of gold or jars of clay? The question I want ringing in your mind. Jars of gold or jars of clay? That's part one. Part two, practicing transparency and vulnerability. It's completely crazy in our time. Practicing transparency and vulnerability. And part three, seeking the face of Jesus in yourself and in others. Seeking the face of Jesus in yourself and in others. Let's start in part one. Let's look at this passage. It says this very, very strange thing. Gosh, I'm even in the wrong, I'm in the wrong book. It says this very, very strange thing. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's actually God's design (laughs) that your life, what we're talking about, jar of clay, it's your life. It's your body. It's you. (laughs) The jar of clay is you. 
The jar of clay is your body, it's your face, it's your personality. You ever like hear a recording of yourself? Doesn't it sound awful? Doesn't it just sound awful? You hear a recording of yourself, you're like, oh my gosh, is that how I sound? Everybody hears that terrible voice? At least you guys don't have your voice on a YouTube channel every single week. You're so blessed, okay? When I hear my voice, I'm like, oh my gosh, is that what, what it sounds like? It sounds so bad. It's clay, all right? Um, but here is how we try to do it in life. We're always trying to make our life a jar of gold. That's what I think. When we go out into the world, look at my life, my jar. <laughs> See this jar? You go out in the world and you're presenting your jar to the world. It's like if your life is a jar, you, you go out, you, you're a jar. It's filled with gold. Can't you see how shiny it is? Can't you see the luster? Can't you see how like, attractive it is? So, you know, inside we can feel that we're not made of gold. This, this, this word, clay. You guys know what clay is? Clay is just moldable dirt. <laughs> That's all it is, okay? That's all it is. So, when Paul says, our life, we, you know, the treasure is the gospel. And if you believe in the gospel, a lot of people think it's some religion, you have this religious doctrine, this weird religious idea that somehow Jesus did this thing on the cross, and you're saved. And of course, to the non-Christian, that sounds like, like, you know, like Looney Tunes fairy tale, okay? Right? But you're like, okay, that's what I believe. And even a lot of Christians think, I believe in the gospel. It's something that I do. Okay, yeah, of course it's something you do. You believe in the gospel. What's important about you believing in the gospel is not an activity that you do. What's important about you believing in the gospel is not an activity that you do, okay? It's not about you. What's important about you believing the gospel is that there's a more fundamental deep reality inside of you and that rea that reality is that you are united to jesus and he dwells in you by the holy spirit that's what's real about you the biggest fact the most important fact about you if you believe in jesus is not how smart you are how much money you have how good looking you are how great your voice sounds on youtube okay you know how how, what's important about you is that Jesus is the treasure that indwells you. That's what's important about you. And when you think about your life, you probably don't think about that. You know what you think about? You think about your clay. Which is another way of saying you think about your dust. Clay is just a little bit better than dust. That's all it is. Clay is slightly better than dust. So when Paul's saying we're made out of clay, oh, by the way, we're like the man of dust, he's saying the exact same thing. And so, just as I told you, it's very hard to be made out of dust. It's also tough to be made out of clay because clay is common. Clay is ordinary. Clay is worthless. If you have clay in your house, and you throw it away, or you lose it, 
you'll be like, okay. <laughs> but if you have a gold coin in your house and you lose it, you'll turn your house upside down to find it. It's, it's, it, gets, it gets even strange today. If you have this coin in your computer, <laughs> a special coin in your computer, you will turn your computer upside down to find it. Okay, same difference. You hear what I'm saying? But if you find some clay in your house and you're like, okay, whatever, you give that away. So we live our life always trying to present the jar of clay. So, you know, your school, your degree, your resume, your looks, your hair, the car you drive, the clothes you wear, even the refrigerator you buy, as I talked about a few weeks ago. You know, it's got, you know, French doors better than that boring old way, okay? I, I know, it's, it's kind of dumb, but we're like that, you know? The, the, the brand of your shoes, you've got to have Nike. Not old Nike, today's, okay? It's, 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 it's the way we cover up the clay and all this stuff. So we all know the reality is clay. And the clay is actually much worse than your money. It's if people actually know what's inside, they won't like you. If they actually find out how, how greedy you are, they'll be grossed out. If they find out how much you hate this person because this person is prettier than you and thus makes you feel bad about yourself, they'll be grossed out. It's actually worse than clay. So this is what we're like. But God is crazy. At the beginning of the Bible, he takes these people, makes them out of dust. He makes them out of nothing. Worthless nothing. And then he puts into them his image. Something that is eternal and glorious and of infinite worth. The human being is made of infinite worth from God. We just don't believe it. We don't see it. What we're always doing is, okay, God, the God, religion, that's religion. Okay, some, some, that's like, 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 isn't that like church? So, is this religious stuff, Right? It was the boring stuff that I went to when I was a kid. That's, that's boring. So, but there's this glorious bling bling out there. And if I can get it on top of me, I will look like a jar of gold. <laughs> if I get that degree, it'll, it'll, it'll bling on the outside. I could be a jar of gold. And when I go out into the world, people won't see my junky clay. They will see my gold. <laughs> which is fake. Or maybe it's real, kind of. And even if it's real, because you actually are smart. And, uh, so I'm not in any way denigrating your real virtues. By the way, your best virtues, you know where they came from? God. You, you know what that's part of? Image of God. You ever think that however good looking you are, it's image of God. However kind you are, it's image of God. However smart you are, 
however well you can sing, however well you can love, it's from the image of God. But we never think about that. Instead, it's never about God. It's always about me. (laughs) And let's cover it up with the bling of gold. This is how we live. And isn't that just so terrible? For all these millennials out there, I've been listening to them say this for more than a decade now. I'm looking for something authentic. All these young people today, you know what they're saying? Why won't anybody let me know who they really are, including their clay? That's what they're saying. Let me in. Make it safe. Make it real. So we could really know each other. A whole generation is crying out for this. That's what I think. And it's right here in the Bible. So, why are we in this jar of clay? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Your life is intended to walk out there and your clay actually show. And so this is actually the strange thing that Paul is saying. Hey, you think I'm like a, not a real pastor. I'm not a real apostle. Because people hate me. <laughs> because even the Christian churches say bad stuff about me. It's because I've been thrown into prison. And I've been af- afflicted. And the Romans despise me. The Jews despise me. I must be a bad pastor. I must not be a real pastor. But let me tell you something. Actually, this is the way it's supposed to be. It's okay. It's okay. Because I carry in myself something like the dying, which is swallowed up by the dying of Jesus. So in my clayness, you can learn and see something else. The life of Jesus in me. Now let's go to part two. What is the practical, if you want to call it that, application of this absolutely insane, (laughs) insane from the Adam point of view? What is the practical application of this insane teaching? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And what I want to ask of you is that in your life, You would believe in Jesus so deeply that no matter what clay you have in who you are, that you would trust there's treasure in you. This is the biggest fact of you. There's treasure in you. And because of that, you can practice transparency and vulnerability. That's what I'm asking of you. As your pastor... As a, as a church I deeply love, I'm asking you to practice transparency and vulnerability. Now, I hope you feel like you have some example of it. Um, I, I, I try to be very transparent to you. Pastor Young tries to be very transparent to you. My wife, Christy, we try to practice and live a life like this. And um, so we can offer this to you. 
It, it's, it's, it's not easy. And it takes some wisdom. It takes some wisdom because some people are so, honestly, so bad that if you give them your vulnerability, they will squish it and hurt you. And I, I, let me be really real. If you practice transparency and vulnerability, you will get hurt. You will get hurt. You're vulnerable. If you don't have your armor on, because you know you cover your you covered yourself with the, your fake gold armor, because that's partly what you're doing. You let people see the clay. Now you're vulnerable. They see your junkiness, seemingly your worthlessness, maybe what makes you hateful even. They could see this. You're vulnerable. If you allow people to see it and come in, you'll get hurt. Grace and I and young Christy have been friends for a long time. Many of our deepest conversations are about our pain. And so that's just a piece of wisdom on offer you. It's okay to get hurt. But then go be with your brothers and sisters and let them love you. That's why if you don't go to church, and that's why if you're not part of the body of Christ and practice the union with Christ with the church, if you're going out judging other people because, oh, you know, I'm better than them, who will love you? Who will love you? Now, of course, Jesus will love you, but Jesus has a way of loving you. He chooses to love you through his body, his body, the church. Okay, I need to give you, I want to give you an example, which isn't young or me or Grace or Christy. I want to give you an example. And I'll give you the example that I think of all the time. I think of the, this man taught me this passage. He lived this passage, right? And it's very interesting that our dear sister, who went to the same church as me and Grace and Christy is here today, because she knows him too. His name is Kenny. And so um, I, I need to tell, give you some background here. So um, me and Grace and Christy and Heejin, we were all part of this church um, it was called Korean Church of Boston, right? It's the oldest Korean Presbyterian, it's the oldest Korean church, period. It happens to be a Presbyterian church. It was part of a, the denomination that really was, even back then, was going bad. But the English-speaking congregation of this church, who's, the church was located in a suburb of Boston called Brookline, and so the people who went to this church were called Brookliners, so these four people in this room are, are Brookliners, and Young is a kind of honorary Brookliner. Okay? It is a really special church. I was only there for two and a half years. It absolutely, profoundly changed me. And um, what was happening in that church is really hard to describe. And it's the kind of thing that nobody can produce. I know, because in all my ministry life, ever since I've left Brookline, I've been 
the, the divine power that it felt magical to be in it. I've always been trying to reproduce it. I cannot do it. It's not of man. It's only of God. Now, let's go a little more into the background. So, um, I'm, um, gosh, I think I'm 23 years old. So, this congregation had gone from like about 40 to about 80 or something like that in like a year. It was an exciting time. It was very young, about half college students and half like young professionals and graduate students. And um, it was a really weird time. Our pastor, who came out of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, got into a conflict with our elders, and he got fired, okay? And then the church, there were, he had raised up four seminarians, and I was one of them. I was 23 years old. And the church said, we're going to hire a, a full-time pastor, and will you four seminarians take over this ministry until we find a really qualified full-time pastor for you? And we all talked to each other, and we said, we are not qualified to do this. But we're in a bad denomination that teaches bad doctrine. And if we won't do this, we're going to get these like, bad preachers who don't preach the gospel into our church and demoralize our church. So let's not do that. Even though we, we, we shouldn't be leading this congregation, it's better than the alternative. So I call this period the four-headed monster day, okay? <laughs> the people, some people call it the four seminarian days. So there's four seminarians. It's me, Kenny Ye, okay, John Huang, and... Um, what was Esther's last name? <laughs> it was uh, a sister named Esther. She, she got married. Her name is now Park, Esther Park, right? And um, they all went to Gordon-Conwell Seminary, right? which is, by the way, one of the, the best seminaries in the whole world. certainly was at the time. So hope, I, probably still is today. I went to the worst seminary in the whole world. Okay, you, you might have heard of it. it, it it's called Harvard, Okay. <laughs> And they, they don't believe in the Bible or preach the gospel. So in my mind, they're real seminarians from a real seminary. I'm like the loser out of the four. That's how I see it. But whatever, you know, let's, it's like, I, at least I know I will preach from the Bible. Kenny taught me what it means to live in weakness. I taught you last week out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll have no other boast except in my weakness. I only have Christ. I don't, this is the only boast I have, Christ. Kenny made that not a theory for me. He taught me, we used to fight. <laughs> we used to not get along. I'll tell you why. Because Kenny is touchy-feely. Kenny's like really all emotive and he's always like this like sensitive emotional guy and he's always like spilling all his emotional stuff and I'm like, dude, can you just like be like a dude? <laughs> and like I like have like your old school like guy ethic. Put your stuff together <laughs> and be a man and serve other people inside of your manhood 
Isn't that what a, like, a decent pastor should do? Kenny would not operate that way. And, it was, and he couldn't operate that way. And it wasn't just because of his personality. It's because of the gospel. And let me tell you something. He was right. And I was wrong. In the foursome, people knew Susan's the one who kind of, kind of like has his stuff together. Right? Kenny is the one who kind of falls apart if you hang out with him. Right? And he likes, will ask you these really crazy questions. So this is what Kenny was like. He's about six foot one. And he weighed about 300 pounds. And if you looked at his email handle, it was Flintstone at MSN or whatever, okay? Like, who uses MSN? But anyway, <laughs> all right? Flintstone. Why? So some of you young people may not know what the heck I'm talking about. There's this long, there's this really ancient cartoon. It was called the Flintstones, okay? And the, the title character is Fred Flintstone, and he's a, like a chunky, like big-boned, he's fat, okay? He's fat. And Kenny looks like a Korean <laughs> Fred Flintstone. I mean, he's like Fred Flintstone, and he knows it. So he calls himself Flintstone. That's what he's like. And um, if you had lunch with Kenny, and he wants to get to know you, he would ask you a question like this. Hey, 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 Damon. What do you fear? <laughs> what do you like, 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 deep down? What, what do you fear? That's Kenny. Hey, how about basketball? Warrior. I'm not going to talk about that. Even though he likes sports, he'd say, what do you fear? And he's not being nosy or trying to pry. He's not trying to embarrass you. You know what he's doing? He's inviting you into a fellowship of vulnerability and transparency. That's what he's doing. Because if you share with you him your deepest fear, he will share with you his deepest fear. Actually, if you don't share with him your deepest fear, he will then share with you his deepest fear, <laughs> which is then maybe a way you will do it too. So, okay, quick practical note. How do you get other people to be vulnerable? You be vulnerable first. How do you get people to trust you? You trust them first. If you trust them with your weakness, they might trust you with their weakness. I learned this from Kenny. Let me tell you other things about Kenny. He was really insecure. And he knew it. He was a very introspective person. And this, everybody has gifts. Okay, you, some of you go, I have no gifts. No, you have a gift. You have some kind of gift. You're made in the image of God. There's a gift. I'll tell you what Kenny's like superpower gift was. He was deeply perceptive of other people's insecurities. Does that make you afraid to be around Kenny? 
He hung out with you, and the first five minutes, he could smell what your deepest, darkest fears are. And if you were fake, he knew this was that stupid jar of gold crap. (laughs) So Kenny would cut through the fake. But it came because he was deeply insecure. It came from his weakness. You see it? Isn't that crazy? In the place where he hates himself the most was God's gift to him. I'll tell you something he said to me, which to this day blows my mind. I should tell you something else. Um, It was really hard to think about this sermon this week because Kenny passed away in the in the 2000s. So he and one of his mentors, a guy named Gary Parrott, you know, they were on a mission trip to um, Cambodia. And, you know, there was like a layover in Korea. And there was a terrible car accident. And Kenny was killed in that car accident. And Gary Parrott was profoundly wounded. Um, he was like paralyzed. And, you know, it, it took him a long time to start to even have a chance to recover. But Kenny died in that day. And I miss Kenny all the time. When I think of this passage, I think of him. I'll tell you this crazy thing he said, which just completely blows me away. He was single. And he badly wanted to get married. Any of you have that feeling? Oh, it's it's only me. No, it's not only you. (laughs) Okay? Godly people like Kenny who's so close to Jesus, this rawing, raw, honest sense that like, can somebody marry me? And he once said to me, Susang, I want to marry somebody who's slender. I said, okay, what if she's a little pudgy? Isn't that okay? What if she's pretty and like really wonderful and she's a little, you know, a little pudgy? And he said, no, Susang, I think I really want to marry somebody slender. Because when they look at us, they won't think I'm so fat. There must be something okay about him. That modestly attractive, slender woman married him. That's Kenny. He knew. He used to wrestle with this so deeply. He wanted to put this on the altar before Jesus, but said, I can't get over this, Jesus. <laughs> I'm so insecure. I want my wife. This is something I want. Now, some of you, you have something like this. You all have something like this. Where there's something inside of you, a piece of your clay that you hate. And you're, that's why you drive a BMW. <laughs> you grew up poor. Your dad's car was a piece of junk. So today, you have to drive a BMW. <laughs> it's not because it's the ultimate driving machine. <laughs> it's because it's the boast that will cover up your gross clay. Or at least what you think it is. 
But Kenny is so perceptive, he can actually find that in himself and name it. And even though he still hated it in himself, he could name it and say, man, this is my clay. And he could pray this before Jesus. I, I, I can't help this. this I, like, this is who I am. Help me. I want to say this about our church. We're at a very important place in our church. We just became a particular church. This is my first sermon after being installed officially as your lead pastor, I guess, right? Sounds a little strange because I was your lead pastor before, but as your lead pastor as a church planner, but now I'm the lead pastor as your, you know, the leader of the session. You don't know this, but I want our church to be like Brookline. I want our church to be like Brookline. There was, um, I think it was one of the first Sundays we worshipped in here. And James, our praise leader, picked some songs. And he picked this song that we used to sing at Brookline. And I just started weeping. It was like God says, I know. I know. Why do we have this odd praise leader who picks old songs from the 90s? He wasn't even born then, was he? Were you? <laughs> right? But he does. Every time he picks a Brookline song, I sit there and go, yep, Jesus, mm-hmm. Here's what Brookline was like. It's full of young people. Some of them, you know, they hear about church. And this is what young people are like. They shop churches. They hear about churches that are possibilities for them. And they shop churches. We were never the first choice. <laughs> there were two other kind of like happening Asian congregations that were in Boston, certainly at least the Koreans knew about, but it, like, it wasn't just Koreans. Then the Chinese folks would learn about the Japanese. And, and then, you know, every now and then there'd be the odd Mexican walk in or, you know. And that's what it was like. And one had like awesome music. And the people were known as cool. And some people went there. And the other church had really good theology. And people were like, they, they dressed nicely. They were like the way I grew up, buttoned up. At both churches, there were two different versions of looking more like gold. They were attractive. Here the people were cool. Here the people were proper Christians. And the people who didn't fit at either of those ended up at our church. <laughs> and it was Kenny. I used to wonder, what is going on inside of this it's the most beautiful church I'd ever been to. I look forward to church every Friday night, every Sunday. I look forward to church more than I ever had in my whole life. I love church. It was crazy, and I used to wonder what what is it about our church that's so so special? 
There was real love. How about that? The music was okay. <laughs> Sometimes it was good. Actually, in the latter portion, we got these four freshmen, and they were all really gifted, and our music went from thoroughly mediocre to, like, amazing. <laughs> okay, it was crazy, okay? But we, went, we used to have thoroughly mediocre. But we had mediocre music, and the people would just sit there and cry because people would bring their full-on clay to church and be before God. That's what Brookline was like. Friday night, Sunday, that's what it was like. And it's like, how do you get this? But it was Kenny who could, like, see it. He could put it, articulate it. He said, we're the church of misfits. We don't fit into the world. If you're broken and you know it, you can come here. I'm just crying today when we're singing this song. He's the God of the broken and weary. That was Brookline. There was a, a sister in the church. I'll just tell this one story. She told this in a journal. Like we had this, we made, there was a period there where we had like a journal. It's not unlike our, what we do in our church where we give testimonies, our annual testimonies. And she wrote down her testimony. She wrote it down for all of us to read. And she told us this story that when she was in high school, she had this boyfriend that was so verbally abusive and made her feel like nothing. And she got pregnant with that boyfriend and he told her to get an abortion. So she did. She's a Christian. And ever since then, she, just her clay would just spill out, falling apart. And she'd come to church and most of, most of us don't know that this is what's going on inside of her, that she's such a profoundly hurting person. But she did know I could come to Brookline. Oh, she fit at Brookline. And she'd go to Friday night Bible study. And then we would have our praise time. And people would weep before God. And then, you know, you'd break up into smaller groups. And she would go to the, small, the, the college group. And she'd have some Friday nights where she'd just fallen apart. She, she doesn't have bandwidth to, 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 to absorb a Bible lesson. She'd just fall apart. And her brothers and sisters would listen to her. They wouldn't go, you're so needy, so annoying. Can we get on with Bible study? That's not what they did. They listened to her. They didn't know what to do except to love her and pray for her. I, I know this. One of the brothers said there was one night this was happening. We laid hands on her and prayed for her. And then he, he got tongues. <laughs> it totally freaked him out. He's not charismatic. Okay? He, when he told me that, I said, that's how you got tongues? He goes, yeah, that's how I got tongues. I was like, gosh, that's crazy. Right? That's what Brookline was like. 
I want to ask you this question. Do you want to be that kind of church too? Do you want to be a church where we could be vulnerable and people will love you? They'll see in you not just all your clay. They will believe, even when you don't believe, that there's Christ in you. That you're not just some junky clay, you in you. No, you are in Christ. And he's at work. And something great and beautiful can happen to you. Thus, you can see my clay and I will love you in your clay because we both have Christ. It was Kenny who could see this. And that's why I could preach it to you. Let me close this message. How can you live courageously, because it takes courage, right? In transparency and vulnerability in this world. When people will hurt you. Here's a verse I want to give you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. It's the verse right before this crazy verse. Let light shine out of darkness. Which darkness are we talking about? Your darkness. Your clay. Let light shine out of darkness. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts. God is shining in your heart. He wants to shine something into your heart. Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's inside of you. That is what God is doing inside of you. Do you believe me? It says so in the Bible. I have no idea how to get there. It's, this, it's in the Bible, okay? If it's in the Bible, it's real. It's more real than your money then your talents, whatever you think is real, real in the world, in this fake, lying, fake, fake, fake world. This is real. So, I want to ask you this question. Do you seek the face of Jesus in your heart? That's the question I want to ask you. Do you seek the face of Jesus in your heart. That's what the passage is about. Let light shine out of the darkness. God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge. There's a knowledge of what? Of the glory of God. In the face of Jesus. So, the only way you can believe this is if you believe Jesus is in there. 
Most of you I know believe that Jesus is up there. This whole series is trying to help you to see that Jesus is, of course he's up there. He's at the right hand of the Father. He reigns over all history. Nothing could ever stop him. But Jesus is not only up there, he's in here by the Holy Spirit. That's what union with Christ is. He is in you. You are in him. His death is in you. His life is in you. You're going to share of his death. So yes, you can be hurt in this life when you love people like Jesus in weakness, transparency, vulnerability. Do you notice? This is how Jesus did it. Jesus didn't show up and say, hey, let me show you my card. Almighty God, that's who I am. He showed up in transparency and vulnerability. And he took on our frailty and death. So that out of that, he can give us his life. There is a mystery in the Christian life. Many people hear this thing. You should read the Bible and you should pray. Okay. Yeah, you should do that. Most people hear, read the Bible, chore, pray. Chore two. Chore one, read the Bible. Chore two, pray. That isn't what you're doing. When you read the Bible and pray, you are going into the room of your heart. And the Bible is the word of God. You are going there to seek the face of Jesus. You're going there to hear from the face of Jesus. Many of you look for the hand of Jesus. Many of you look for the power of Jesus. He's up there. Wave your hand. Better job. He's up there. Wave your hand. Mom no longer has cancer. He's up there. Wave your hand. And then my sick child will be okay. But he actually doesn't want to give you his hand. He wants to give you his face. He wants to be in the deepest place of your life. He wants to meet you there. Will you go there? And trust that if you will read this word, what you're not doing is reading. You know what you're doing? You're listening. You will talk. Sometimes maybe you're not even talking. You're just crying. Maybe sometimes you're not even talking. You're just griping. <laughs> Maybe sometimes you're not even talking because you're just angry at him. But go to his face. And if you go to his face in the darkness of your heart, God will shine a light through the word when you listen to it. And Jesus will give you himself. And you will know if you keep doing it, 
if you keep doing it, you're going to find out something very, very weird. Okay? Here's what you will find out. That prayer that you prayed 10 years ago, that you forgot about, you'll find out he didn't forget about it. That thing that just completely kills you inside, that you think God ignores, you're going to pray that prayer, and in about two years from now, he will meet you there. And you will know his face is in you and will never leave. This is how we get there. It starts by believing in the gospel. If you pray and if you read the Bible without believing in the gospel, you are a very good Pharisee (laughs) and you're doing stupid stuff. But if you go into the darkness of your heart to meet and see the face of Jesus, whom you are united to forever and ever, by the Holy Spirit, through his word, he will give you his face. And you won't be worried about your clay. And then you can go out into the world and know, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm super insecure by the way. I'm always really, really worried that, you know, if I don't get to the next level in my career, that I'm a loser. By the way, that's, that's on my mind all the time. <laughs> How about you? What's your fear? <laughs> and you know what will happen? People will find you to be so weird. <laughs> You'll become beautifully human. Kenny started becoming such a beautiful Man, it's really weird to say this. You know why I miss him so much? He's becoming like Christ. That's why I miss him. And here's the way I'm going to close this message. When you have this in you, can you look at the other Christians in your life and believe that they have the face of Jesus in them too? And then invite them. You invite them by you sharing your vulnerability and weakness. And then they will share their real self to you. And when they share their real self to you, you can love them with your real self. The real self is you in Jesus. And even if they're fake and phony and pharisaical and bad... Would you believe in that by grace? By grace. They have the treasure too. They have the treasure too. Can you believe that? I know you do, but you don't. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like that, that, what that guy said to Jesus. I believe, but help my unbelief. We're going to all say that today. I, I, I don't believe in that about that person. Maybe some of these people over here, they have Jesus in them, but that person, that person's clay all the way down. 
It's not true. Jesus saw you. Saw all your terrible, junky clay all the way down. And he said, yeah, okay, let me go into that. And set up house and live there forever. That's union with Christ. I want us to be that kind of a church. Would you pray that we become this kind of church? And when people show up at our church, they'll start thinking, this is the weirdest church. This is church? This is church? Something like Brookline. It's actually, I hope it'll be better than Brookline. Because God always can top himself. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, I was only friends with Kenny for about, well, at least in that period, a year and a half, and then a number of years after that. It's an incredible thing to meet a person whose boast is Christ alone. And when you're with him, if you act fake, <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's beneath you. He wants you to give your full self to him so he can give his full self to you. And when that happens, it's actually from you, Jesus. And I'm so thankful that for that short period of my life, you gave me this. And I pray that this crazy sermon <laughs> from this really stupid, foolish man would go into the hearts of everybody who hears it and they can never forget it, that this seed will go deep into the heart of all who hear it, especially members of Revive. And we we'll become like Kenny. We'll become like Christ. We won't be us in me. We will be us in you, Jesus. Our only boast will be you, and thus we will boast in our weakness. And all that comes out of it is grace, hope, and love forever and ever. We pray that you would do this. No man can do this. Only you can do this. May we accept it and receive it. I'm glad to live in it with faith, hope, and love. To live in your way, in your humanity, forever and ever, because we're united to you. Thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name, amen.